In our first reading today from the second book of Kings, we have the story of Naaman. That's kind of the, the latter half of the story, if you recall. Naaman, the, the great king who finds himself a leper, which is, of, of course, a, a terribly painful disease, uh, but also one that's uh, very uh, painful, socially speaking, that one will be separated from people uh, very often, as we hear in the gospel. They, they, have to, they have to cry out to our Lord, right, because they're very far away, lest someone actually uh, catch the same disease, right? And so Naaman is here, and he's, and he's tried a variety of places. He's tried uh, certainly everything that he can think of uh, to be able to, to find some healing for this, uh, for this ailment that he possesses. He would, he would presumably have gone to, to several other, other locations and, and, and find, sought all the remedies, uh, eat this, drink that, you know, all those kinds of things, that he would perhaps, perhaps some miracle would happen and he would find a relief or even, God, God willing, to, to find a healing entirely. It would be a great grace. And so he ends up finding his way to Israel, to the prophet uh, who tells him to go wash in the water um, and he seems not impressed with this idea because, uh, as, he, as he tells Elisha the prophet, he says, uh, we have much nicer water back home. Uh, what's, what's so special about this stuff, right? Um, but then he, so he, he presumably is going to simply walk away to, to say, no, that's, that's silly. Um, but then his, his own servants remind him, you were willing to come and do crazy things. If the prophet had said, I want you to stand on your head or pat your belly and click your heels together, you would have done it. You'd have looked like a fool, but maybe you, maybe you would have been healed. But he's just asking you to go and wash in the water, right? And so why not? Give it a shot. So he washes in the water and then comes and he finds that he's healed. And this is where the, our story picks back up. As he comes, he wants to express his gratitude to God for this immense gift given to him this tremendous blessing of being freed from this ailment, from this lethal, mortal wound upon his flesh. And he comes and he wants to offer some gift, a financial gift. And Elisha says, no. And certainly he continues to try, he continues, you know, please accept something, accept some kind of gift. If not money, at least, you know, some, some animals, some, you know, some of the fine things that we have with us. You know, he's kind of a, a notable fellow, so he's got some nice things with him, presumably. So take something, and he continues to say no. But then an interesting thing happens. He says, well, if you won't, if you won't take something, <laughs> let me take something. Let me take more. Let me take two mule loads worth of dirt. And it sounds a kind of strange request, right? You're like, okay, well, I've been healed, so I would like some of your dirt, please, right? But the reality is, to help us understand, we have to listen, to, to pay attention to the words that also follow that, because it gives us the key of why that's the case. He says, because I know that there is no other God except the God of Israel, and I cannot offer sacrifice or worship to any other God. This is the key that helps us to understand the passage. Because the fact is, especially during this time, the understanding was that gods were kind of localized. This is oftentimes why we hear continuously the God of Israel, because it was, he was the God of the people Israel, but also of the geographic area, Israel. There was an understanding that if you would go from place to place, there would be different gods who would, who would, have, who would have some authority or some power in that particular place. And so that's why you have the, the Israelites who are always struggling uh, because they go, as they spread out a bit, they, they go to another land and these people have a God and they start worshiping that God rather than the true God. And they find themselves in trouble worshiping idols. And so it was a kind of a geographic thing that people had an idea of God as a God of a particular place. And so in the mind of Naaman, 
It's not simply that he wants a nice keepsake of the place, but he wants God. And he knows that God is the God of Israel, the place, the land of Israel. And so he wants to take back two mule loads worth of dirt, two, two big loads worth of dirt to be able to go back to his home and put Israel with him, to have Israel brought back with him and to build an altar on his little tiny Israel that would show that God is with me here too. He's not just there, he's here. This is why he asked for the two mule loads worth of dirt. He wants to bring God with him. And again, it's not, it's not just a nice little keepsake thing. It's like when I was in Rome, uh, my first time I went to Rome, I was walking around the streets and I found a, I found a side street where they have the, you know, the, nice, the nice cobblestones and uh, there was a section where they were loose. So I bent down and wiggled it a little bit, picked up a stone and put it in my bag. I keep it on my bookshelf, right? It's a nice keepsake. But this is something entirely different. This is something where, where he wants God with him. The land is not the important piece. It's God who comes with the land. And he wants the Lord. He wants the God of Israel to be there with him. So we can continue to offer sacrifices to this God. Continue to offer fitting worship to the Lord, the one true God. Because he has realized that all the other gods were false. But this one, this one is true. This one has power. This is something that our, our Lord spoke about. Because the reality is that, that Naaman comes and he, and he has to bring a piece of the land with him. At least that's his intention. So as to have the Lord with him. But our Lord speaks to us in the fourth chapter of St. John's Gospel. And he tells us that that's not how it's supposed to be always. In fact, the Lord is the God of Israel. So that the people of Israel, knowing the Lord, then, can then go out and tell other people about him. That was the mission of Israel, and that's the mission of the church. But when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, as he does in John chapter 4, he meets this woman, and, and they're having a dialogue back and forth, and he's, he's basically he's reading her soul. He's telling her all the things that, that, uh, that she doesn't want to say, all the stuff she would like to, to keep, you know, keep quiet to herself in her confession, so to speak. And so our Lord starts to tell her what's going on in her life, and she, she backs away from the personal thing. She backs away from him engaging her in her sin, and she starts a theological conversation, which is instructive for us today. She says, you know, your people, right, so the, the Jewish people, you say you're supposed to worship on this mountain. My people say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. Which mountain do we worship God on? Which place is God in? And the Lord responds very simply, he says, there will come a day when it won't matter here or there because we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. The simple invitation was that, that there will come a day where God won't simply be only in this one place, but he will be in all places. This is what happened at Pentecost. As our blessed Lord told us before Pentecost, he says, it's better for you that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come to you. And the Holy Spirit is how we have the Lord with us in every place. Every one of us, by virtue of our baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. He's poured into our hearts. And everywhere we go, we have the Holy Spirit. We have God with us. We don't have to carry around dirt. We have Him. It's the Lord who comes to make His dwelling in our hearts. This is what our Lord Jesus was, was looking forward to. Because the reality is, is if he did not ascend, again, the Holy Spirit would not have come down. But also, if we wanted to talk to Jesus, we would have to go physically to see him. Or at least by technology, we'd have to get on a Zoom meeting with him. 
And it would, so be, it would be busy, right? Because our Lord, he's only, got, he's only got so many people he can talk to at one time. There's always thousands and thousands. This queue of meetings, if you wanted to set up a one-on-one meeting with Jesus, it'd probably be a couple of decades before you'd be able to find a nice time slot. But this is not the case. He wants us to, to have him available to us at all moments. And so he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can come and be that portion of his spirit in every single one of us who are baptized. And to know that everywhere we are, he is there with us. And every place that we find ourselves, the God of Israel, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit abide in our hearts. In every place we can pray, we can offer fitting worship, to offer a sacrifice of praise of our lips. This is the great gift that is offered to us. It's the thing that Naaman longed to have, to be able to take the Lord with him wherever he would go. And we are blessed to receive this gift. But unfortunately, some presume upon it and take advantage of it. The evil one loves to take things that are true and twist them. This is his very, this is very nature. He's the deceiver. He's the one who comes, and because he is not creative, only God can create, right? So God creates things, and the devil takes the things of God, and he twists them. Heresies are basically 99% truth and a little touch of falsehood. It's like saying, oh, there's a gallon of water, but there's a couple of drops of arsenic in it. Should be fine, right? Mostly water. It's foolish. You know, if you drink it, you're going to die. And this is what the evil one does, is he takes something that's true and he twists it so that we, we die in our soul. And the thing that he often does with this passage is he recognizes that there's a truth here, that God is with us everywhere we go. God is not just in a localized place only, that he is in all places. He is omnipresent. It's one of the theological truths. But then he convicts us at that, that that means because God is with us everywhere, we don't have to go to specific places to meet him. Many individuals relieve themselves of their Sunday obligation because God's with me everywhere. I can pray on my couch. I can read my Bible wherever I want. I really like my back porch and a nice cup of coffee. I meet God there. It's a profound experience. Father, why do I have to go to church? I find God out in the deer stand when the sun's rise and the fields are beautiful. God's with me there. And these are all true statements. But it doesn't take away the fact that the Lord has called us first to do the things of coming to his presence, to come to Holy Mass, to come to pray in the church. It's the evil one who, who wants to take the truth that God is with us always and twist it so that we fall away, at least in some small way, a really Sunday Mass, missing Sunday Mass, a very large thing, although often people don't th- think about it as such. But to be able to take that, that one piece because he knows that if he can get us a little bit off track and we continue to fall away, and then we are his rather than the Lord's. It's for us to to recognize that deception and to remain firm in spirit, to know that, that indeed the Lord is with us always, but it's because he is with us here. Just like Naaman went to a particular place, meaning he encountered the Lord, he experienced the Lord's goodness, he had that, 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 that rich conversion that then makes him bring the Lord back with him in the, you know, the, the, in the dirt, so to speak. So also the Lord wants to come here, and he calls us to come here week after week after week. And we come and we encounter the Lord, the God of Israel, once more. We encounter the person of Jesus in the Eucharist. 
We're strengthened by his life. And then we do what Naaman did and we go out back into the world and we bring him with us. We're living tabernacles in the world. We're the ones who carry the Holy Spirit every place that we go. So that like Naaman, we can carry around the, the, the spiritual load of dirt that ensures that God is with me and I am with him. And I want to offer worship to him, the living sacrifice of my own life, to be able to do his will. This is what the Lord is rejoicing to, to invite us to once more again today, to marvel at this gift, that by our baptism, he makes his dwelling in our hearts. He makes his home in our soul, a welcome guest, the most welcome guest. And he wants to be with us and stay with us. He wants us to speak to him in the quiet of our heart all throughout the course of the day. But to know that it is not something that ought to keep us away from him here, but rather to draw us even closer, to increase our love and our desire for the Holy Mass, for the mysteries that we celebrate, the word that we hear proclaimed in the Gospels. We pray the Lord to increase our love for him, to increase our awareness and our gratitude for the great gift that he comes to dwell in our souls, and then to be able to share that good news as we bring him forth into the world.